Well, it's great to be able to bring the word today. I'm really excited to continue our series, The Gift, and today under the theme of The Gift That Keeps Giving, especially since I missed out on preaching a couple of weeks ago because of COVID. But I want to start with this question. What is the most important room in your house? Who would say the kitchen? Just you know, raise a hand if you'd say it's the kitchen. Well, not that many. I think the kitchen in some ways is the most important room in the house. We've been in our house nearly 25 years. We've raised four kids there. We're now uh, involved in raising three grandchildren, another one on the way. And the kitchen has been the space where so much life has happened in our family. I asked our youngest son as we're out with tea with him and his wife last night, what are some of your memories of our kitchen? And he said, well, being allowed to bake a cake with any ingredients I chose out of the cupboard. Having to do the dishes. See, the kitchen was a place we taught our kids service and discipline. (laughs) He also said, you know, avoiding my older brother as he's trying to flick me with a tea towel running around the kitchen. And he also said, Getting my mouth, having Worcestershire sauce poured into my mouth by mum after I had said some not very nice things. But you know, in our kitchen, there was lots of conversations, there was mentoring, there was arguments. At the kitchen sink, sometimes when I stand there doing the dishes, is one of those places I pray and practice just being reminded I'm in God's presence. So much life happens in our kitchen. And yet our kitchen for most of those times was really outdated and undersized and in some ways not fit for purpose. We'd had these brick arches that closed it off from the dining room and the living room. It had a high servery above the bench that also kind of blocked off that sense of connection and made it feel smaller. And last year we had finally paid off our mortgage. We had some spare money and we did the kitchen reno after the kids have gone. And we got it organised with our builder and he said, it's a two-week project. (laughs) Yeah, that's what a lot of other people did when I told them. And so we learned, as many of you already know, that a two-week kitchen reno is never a two-week kitchen reno and the initial price in the end is not what you end up paying. And so as we got the old cupboards out and got the floor covering off, we discovered that the old chipboard flooring needed to be replaced, which meant we had to take up other floor coverings because of the way the floor flowed through now into the dining room and the living room and found other parts of the floor that needed to be replaced. And the ceiling, uh, because of the way the ceiling was now done, it opened up the space and it meant we could actually do lighting differently. So there was another expense. But the thing that saved me at least, from kind of freaking out too much about these kind of, you know, shelving out more money, was we had a vision for this space of how we would open up into the dining area and the living room and allow more engagement as you're in the kitchen and other family and friends are in those other spaces. And so the vision kind of laid a platform for ultimately what we wanted and allowed us to kind of cope with those other things. And so we discovered that kind of one thing leads to another. And I think that's a a metaphor for life, that kitchen reno. There are things that come into our life and 
as they kind of begin to have an impact in our life, they can lead to one thing after another for good, but sometimes for not so good. They can build us up and leave to even greater and good things, but they can also demolish and tear down and, and wreak havoc in our life as one thing after another unfolds from that consequence. And sometimes we can feel like those circumstances that come along that would lead one thing after another in our lives, we, we're at the mercy of them. We're kind of like, I hope nothing bad comes because I can't cope with more things flowing out of that. Well, today, as we look at Romans chapter 5, Paul explains to us that if you get your foundation right in your life, no matter what comes along, there can always be one good thing flow after another if you've got your foundation set. So if you've got a Bible with you, you've got your device, you want to follow along, then open it up to Romans chapter 5. We're going to jump down to verse 6. As Paul kind of reiterates this gift that God gives us through Jesus that can become this foundation. And so I'm going to read from a uh, paraphrase by a guy called J.B. Uh, Phillips. And it says this. It says, It was while we were powerless to help ourselves that Christ died for sinful people. While we couldn't give a stuff about God or Jesus, while we were actively rebelling, while we were running our own race, while we were trying to do it in our own strength, while we were doing a bad job of life, while we were hating on other people or hating ourselves, while all of that was still unfolding in our life and we deserved nothing good from God, Jesus died for us. And Paul goes on and he says, in human experience it is a rare thing for one person to give his or her life for another, even if the latter be a good person. Though there have been a few who have had the courage to do it, yet the proof of God's amazing love is this, that is while we were still sinners that Jesus died for us. The God of the universe, the Holy One, so different to us in his purity and his holiness, looked at us and didn't go, well, they're a write-off, let's just go somewhere else, but looked at us and said, I love humanity so much, I'm going to die to deal with the stuff they can't solve for themselves. Jesus proved God's profound and unbounded love that while we were still objects of his wrath, Jesus died for us. That we may gain this new life, this eternal life that begins now, that we may be fully, totally, forever forgiven, that our eternal destiny would be secured now, not just sometime in the future. Such a profound and costly act of love that God performed for us through his only son, Jesus Christ yet makes it so simple for us. You see, there's no longer any hoops. We no longer need to prove ourselves. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to get ourselves into the right place. We don't have to learn enough. All that we need to do to receive this gift from God is in a moment to say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to believe in you. 
I'm going to let you forgive me. And as best as I'm able, each new day, I'm going to trust you to lead me through it. That's the good news. God did something so profound and in one sense so complex that we can't get our mind around it so that it becomes so simple for us. So many times that I just would long to have the ears of the whole world to say, guys, it's simple. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. All you need to do in this moment is say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And it's done. It's finished. You're accepted by God. Your sin's forgiven. Your eternity is secured. You know, that's why Satan works so hard through aspects of culture in our modern Western world, through secularism, through other religions, to stop people meeting Jesus and discovering how simple he has made it for us. This gift that Jesus gives us becomes a foundation upon which the rest of our lives and our eternity, your eternity, can be built So let's go back to Paul's words in Romans. Back to the beginning of the chapter, verse uh, verse 1. And Paul begins with this word he uses about 20-odd times in Romans, therefore, therefore because of what I've said in the preceding chapters about what Jesus has done, therefore because of what I'm about to say again in verse 6. Since Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... Through that simple act of saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to trust you, God makes us justified, treats us now just as if we have never sinned, just as if we're as holy and perfect as Jesus. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access to this faith by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not sometime in the future, in paradise, in heaven, but this grace we stand in now. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And again, there's that sense of that's something about now, not just when we get to see God fully in heaven one day, but we actually get to see the glory of God worked out in our life now. just as if we'd never sinned. Peace with God means friendship with God, part of his family. You know, we get to say, well, we get to choose our friends, but we don't get to choose our family. Well, God puts us in his family. It's a done deal. It's fixed for eternity. And so we can truly say of ourselves, and you can say of yourself, God likes me, and Jesus is my friend forever. Let's say that together, even if you're watching online, even at a later time than Sunday morning. Just I want you to say that with me now. God likes me. Let's say it again. God likes me. And Jesus is my friend forever. Let's say that together. Jesus is my friend forever. I bet you if I asked uh, people and, and you had a chance to be honest, there'd be some of you saying that was hard. There was something in me that would be saying, but that can't be true because I know who I am. 
but it is true. God actually likes you. And we can say that now because of what Jesus has done for us. We now stand permanently in this favour of God. And so the first good thing that then flows from this foundation that Jesus establishes in our life is that we have access to God, Paul says, anytime, any place. You know, as a child, I felt most safe and secure basically any time I was with my parents or some other trusted adults in my life. But as you know, that meant there'd be times as a child where I wouldn't be in their presence. And I was reflecting with my kids last night that my first couple of weeks in primary school in year one were a bit terrifying because I was kind of the object of all the other kids ganging up on me for a couple of weeks as kids sorted out kind of who's who in the zoo. But whenever I was with my parents, I didn't feel that. But it's no longer an issue because I now know I live in God's presence surrounded by his love, under the shelter of his wings. I'm safe and secure in any moment and at any time because God is with me. You see, if you get the foundation right, one good thing after another flows. And having that experience of new life in Christ and knowing God's powerful, loving presence with you leads to the second good thing, a sure and certain hope, not just wishful thinking and not just about the distant future but about the presence now. That no matter what I'm facing today, God can lead, will be with me and he will lead me through. He will see me to the other side. And so the ancient king David, the king of Israel who wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible, wrote words like this in Psalm 23, Surely God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And in Psalm 139, I paraphrase a bit, there is nowhere I can go that you will not be present with me. Every day of my life, no matter the turmoil or the goodness that, you know, that it might be a bright day and it could be the darkest of days, no matter what, I'm going to see signs of God's grace and goodness in my life today. It's a given. And I know that to be true. Some of the toughest days in my life several years ago as I thought about this and I said I'm going to look for those signs of God's grace and goodness every day when there was pain and anxiety in my life and yet every day I saw the finger of God touch me. You see this gift of new life with Christ becomes a gift that keeps giving and giving has one good thing leads to another. But there's more, Paul says. Not just that. So from verse 3, Paul goes on and says, not only so, not only all those things, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's a weird thing to say when you first read it. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Those things we have believed in, people aren't going to laugh at us one day saying, that was a load of rubbish, wasn't it? No. 
because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, our lives, through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so the third and the fourth good thing that flow on from the others is that we can rejoice even in our sufferings, even in our good times, because God is with us and he will lead us through to the other side. In fact, God will use your hardships to grow and develop you. And if you walk through them each day saying, I'm going to trust you again today, you're going to come out the other side in a better shape, a better human being, with stronger faith, with a better ability to love other people, with a stronger hope than you had when you began. Get your foundation right and one good thing will lead to another. You see, it's in the hurly-burly of life that God chips off those bad aspects of our character, chips off our fears and anxieties, our self-reliance, the wrong and bad way to do things. It's kind of as the old self just kind of keeps colliding with the circumstances of life and we discover that if we keep doing things the way that we've always done them, we get the same result and it doesn't work. But if we approach those situations going, well, that doesn't work, Jesus, I'm going to let you show me a different way. I'm going to let you... Show me a better way. I'm going to stop trying to do it in my own strength, my own wisdom. I'm going to stop trying to solve everything myself. And when we start doing that, we discover that Jesus teaches us a new way of doing things. And guess what? Circumstances may not totally change, but we find a way through that wasn't there before. You know, This gift of new life in Christ is given to us fully and freely the moment we believe like that. But the transformation that Jesus then works in our life takes time. We only get to see the fullness of that as we choose over time to say each day, Jesus, I'm going to trust you again, that your promises are true, that you are going to be there, that your love will surround me, that you will show me a way that you will uphold me even if circumstances don't change. And over time we get to look back and go, look what Jesus did. Wow, I don't react like that anymore. I'm more at peace. I'm not overwhelmed. I can see things in a different light now. Wow, look what Jesus did because I kept trusting him day by day. And we now have a testimony to share of the goodness of God in our lives. We talked about this in our community group on Wednesday night and uh, we're a bunch of couples, we're empty nesters, we've got grown-up children and we kind of shared around, well, you know, how does this work out? And we all shared stories of praying for our kids and persevering with our kids, sometimes through great joy and sometimes through the great pain that they caused us in one way or another. And it was only 5, 10, 20 years later that we began to see some of those prayers answered. But as we look back, we could see how God had been with us in those moments and how he had developed patient endurance and faith and a renewed hope. And how our character and other things had changed because we kept trusting Jesus and kept saying, God, we, I don't know what the answer is for my daughter here, but 
your grace is enough. And as we look back, we can see those moments where God was at work and at the end we can look at ourselves and go, hey, I'm in better shape around a lot of this stuff than I was when I started that journey. The fact is that the shaping of Christ-like character, some aspects of that within our lives can only happen through hardship, through tough times because it's there where our old self butts up against those things that we can't solve in our own strength where Jesus says, are you going to trust me? Are you going to learn from me? Are you going to let me show you a different way? That those rough edges get chipped off and we find a smoother way through life, even, as I said, the tough things don't necessarily disappear. So, you know, if you're someone who has a a tendency to want to solve every problem or avoid them if you can't solve them, then it's likely God's going to use situations of unsolvable problems to help you learn to trust him. If you're a person who doesn't believe that you're good for anything and you have nothing to offer and God couldn't use you and people don't respect you and who are you to say anything to anyone, whatever way you might describe that of yourself, you know, the best way that God can shape you to have confidence and faith to see yourself the way he sees you is to put yourself in a situation that's outside of your comfort zone where you have to trust God and you're in a place where you have to help other people and see what God does. And Conan and I as pastors, if that's you, come and chat to us because we can put you in that place tomorrow if you like. Now the fifth good thing that will unfold is this. As we grow through all of that stuff, trusting Jesus, and we grow in a Christ-like character in heart and in action and in faith, it develops even greater hope, greater faith and the ability to love like Jesus. You see, as we keep choosing to trust Jesus each new day, it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to pour God's love into our hearts and our lives in real and tangible ways to prove that Jesus is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do. And so it becomes a repetitive cycle as one good thing leads to another. When you've got your foundation set right, it keeps building and building and building through life. And it's not just about one good thing after another for you because there's an overflow of one good thing after another for others through you. There's a story of Zacchaeus who meets Jesus He's a Jewish guy, he's a tax collector, he colludes with the Romans against his own people, he's become stinkingly wealthy and rich on the back of ripping people off. He meets Jesus, he repents, he replaces double, even fourfold what he's ripped off from other people and gives it back to them and he becomes exceedingly generous to the poor. There's that fearful, controlling, manipulative spouse and parent 
because of stuff that kind of happened in their life, they've kind of evolved this way and they meet Jesus and they discover peace in their heart and a sense of security and that they're accepted and loved and it begins to overflow into the way they relate to their spouse and their kids and other people and the manipulation and the control disappears. There's the arrogant professional who kind of hides behind this facade of success and being able to do things well and even in the process maybe tread on other people and who's quick to judge others who don't make the most of the opportunities they are given. There's no hopers. Meets Jesus. And they become vulnerable and begin to admit to some of their fears and anxieties. And they start serving people who are struggling in life to help them make a better fist of their life. You see, if you get the foundation right, one good thing after another flows for you and for others. It's like adding layers of a pyramid. You build the broad, strong foundation and as you add layer upon layer, it can never tip over. But if you try to build your own foundation without Jesus, it's actually like building a pyramid upside down, sitting on a point that sooner or later is just going to fall over in a big mess. Get the foundation right. And Jesus will unfold one good thing after another in your life. So what can you do? Well, get your foundation right. Start with Jesus. Let go of your self-reliance. Let go of your old ways of doing things. And humbly say, Jesus, from today, I'm going to trust you. And as best I'm able, tomorrow I'm going to trust you and let you lead me. I'm going to let you forgive me. I'm going to let you transform me and be at work in my heart. The second thing you can do is read the Bible. And you can get it in any language, not just English. We use English here. You can get it in Persian and Hindi. And if you're someone who has a, a, you know, your first language is not English, you can get it printed, you can get it on your phone in your language to read it. You might want to read Romans that we're doing at the moment and reread it. Because as you read the Bible, you begin to learn and understand this grace in which you now stand and what it means and what it looks like. The third thing is to keep choosing each day as you begin the day, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Whether it looks like a good day coming or a freight train ready to run over you, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And in those moments each day when you find yourself coming up against the circumstances of life, choosing to say, well, Jesus, show me your way. Show me a better way. And then lastly, take time now and then to look back with open eyes to see what Jesus has been doing. Because often it's little things and it's incremental. And if we don't pause, we go, well, Jesus hasn't done anything big in my life. But if we pause now and then and look back, we go, oh, there was the goodness of God. There was Jesus' help. There was his guidance. There was a new thing that he did. Oh, I learned something from him that day. Things are different now. 
and our faith and our hope and our love is encouraged as we do. Now, this is Pentecost Sunday when together we remember the fulfilling of God's promise to pour out his Holy Spirit and as Paul said, who pours God's love into our hearts, makes real the love of Jesus in our everyday life, works out that transforming work of Jesus in us that we can say he is faithful, he does what he said he's going to do. In Jesus, all God's promises are yes and amen because the Holy Spirit keeps proving it to me. Let's be a people that continue to live in that way. Let's pray. And as we pause and are still, it may be that right now you want to say for the first time, Jesus, I'm going to trust you from now on. And it may be that you can't say, I know a lot about you, Jesus, but I've heard enough that from now on I'm going to trust you to love me, to guide me, to protect me, to be at work in my life, to forgive my sins, to transform my heart, to lead me into this relationship with my Heavenly Father. And Lord, for anyone praying that prayer at the moment, pour out your Holy Spirit on them now and make real your love and your promises to them. It could be that as you've been singing this morning and listening, that you've become aware of some of those rough edges that you've kind of, persevered with thinking that's the way through and in this moment the Holy Spirit is saying that's your way but it's not Jesus' way. Let me show you and you in a better way. Let me knock off those rough edges and make the way smooth. You may know what it is. You can name it. Maybe right now you can say, well, Lord, I'm handing it over to you. I don't want to do things. I don't want to react that way, respond that way. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to be like that anymore, Lord Jesus. Change my heart. Rewire the reactions in my brain and lead me in your good, pleasing and perfect way. And it might be that This is that opportunity just to pause and look back and become thankful for all the little things that Jesus has been doing in your life and thank him and be encouraged and to realise how big a lot of those little things add up to. That may be where you used to be but where Jesus has you now. To Holy Spirit, continue to pour out the love of Jesus into our hearts. Continue to make real and known his power and his love, his grace and his promises. 
empowering us to be that little bit more like Jesus each new day. Amen.